Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Hey everyone, welcome along to the show. Now this is one of the shortest episodes that I've ever done because it's a little talk that I gave at the Canterbury Employers Chamber of Commerce. So most of you listeners probably don't know, but I lived for five years in Japan, one year when I was 20, and then four years much later working as a lawyer in Tokyo. And in that time, I observed a lot of things about how people made decisions in business in Japan. So this really is a summary of some of the top tips that I learned. Hopefully there's some little tidbits that can be helpful for those of you who are doing business with Japan, but also more generally, just to get a different perspective on the way that Japanese people make decisions and interact in business. If you find this helpful, then consider sharing it with a friend. I've also made this a video, so if you're interested in seeing me present it, if you go to theseeds.nz under the video tab, you can watch me giving this talk as well. And one other thing is at the start, I'm holding something up, and I don't actually say what it is because the people in the room obviously could see me, but it's chopsticks. So what I'm doing is asking them if they've ever used chopsticks before. And lastly, a shout out to Shirley and the team at Canterbury Employers Chamber of Commerce for giving me the chance to give this presentation. And also a shout out to Ian Kennedy and the Japan New Zealand Business Council. After I recorded this, I had Ian come over and I did a whole interview with him. So he used to be an ambassador to Japan. So that episode will be coming out in the next couple weeks. So watch out for it. So here's my take on Japanese decision making and some practical tips for doing business in Japan. Um, I'm here to tell you a little bit of some practical tips for doing business in Japan. Um, and I thought I'd start by holding these up. How many of you have used these and can use, use them skillfully? Yeah, wonderful. When the first time that you use them, could you use them skillfully? Probably not. I know for me, when I first used it, um, I kind of held them like this, with my two fingers there, and it just, it didn't work very well. It took somebody actually teaching me that it's the three fingers, and you get the precision. And so what I want to do today is just really briefly run through a couple practical tips that I've learned from being involved in Japan. So just to explain um, why I've been asked to do this, uh, this is uh, Japan and New Zealand, very similar sizes. Um, I know for me growing up, it was always an intriguing place because my father was doing business in Japan in the 1980s. Um, and then I got the chance when the Nagano Olympics were on to move to Japan. So I lived there for a year and worked at a ski resort named Akakura Skijo, for those who know Japan. Um, and I was working in the hotel making beds, vacuuming, and skiing when I wasn't doing those things. And it was a great experience, amazing, 20 years ago. And then I moved to Osaka and I taught English to all types of people. These are the, these are the youngest members of the class that I was teaching. I actually wonder what they're doing now, like they would be in their mid-20s now. Um, and then uh, for, for four years I worked at a trading house in Japan, in Tokyo. And so for those of you who don't know, trading houses are massive organizations that basically buy and sell a bit of everything in Japan. So I was at one of the largest trading houses. So I was one of the foreigners. There was 5,000 employees in this building in a place called Botemachi. And we looked over the Imperial Palace. And there would have been about 10 of us 
out of the 5,000 who were foreigners. So it was an amazing cultural experience to work in that environment. Um, I, I'm a lawyer, so I was in their legal team doing mergers and acquisitions and buying and selling commodities and contracts um, all around the Asia Pacific region. So I learned a lot from that experience. So that's me with some of the team members um, who were focused on Asia. Um, so I just wanted to run through briefly, because we had a great overview today, I, I think you'll agree, of the bigger picture things, the billions of this and how many exports and things, but what's the actual practical side of things that you need to know if you're going to Japan for the first time? I think for me, there's just some tips. The first one is business cards. And I think in the West, we kind of take these for granted and that they're not as important as they are in Japan. So we heard earlier about the fax being still used. Um, in Japan, there's actually a name for business card, cards called meishi. And it's actually quite important to get this right. So a meishi will have your name and your information on it. And in the West, you know, you typically just sort of go, yeah, here you go, do you want it? You know, just hand it over. In Japan, what I suggest you do is you actually hold it um, with your name facing towards the person and hold it at each edge with both fingers and kind of bow as you give it to them, like that. So um, I, as you can tell, this is going to be really practical, things that will actually help, because it does make these little subtle things do make a difference. We've heard that relationship is really important and having the right first impression is really key. And so that's how you exchange it. Don't just sort of slide it across the table or throw it in their general direction. It's actually really important to get that right. The second thing is when you get the card, don't just sort of slip it in your back pocket or you know put it somewhere else. If you're sitting at a table, what I suggest you do is put it right in front of you, up above where your papers are, and put it in the order of the person who's on the other side. So if there's three or four people, put it in the order that they're sitting at. So that way you can remember their names, but also it's a sign of respect that you remember who they are and you're getting the order right. Um, the other thing is when you first get given the card, actually look at it. So in the West, we kind of just put it away, but actually take about five to 10 seconds and read it and go, oh, okay, oh, interesting. Oh, you're a managing director, that's, yeah and actually read what their titles are. It shows an interest and it actually does help. And you'll notice that they do the same for you. They'll actually usually look at the card and, oh, I see, that's your office. Oh, you're in Wellington, oh, interesting. Um, the other thing, this is super practical, but timeliness. So from a Western point of view, I think 10 o'clock is 10.05-ish, that's fine. In Japan, 10 o'clock is 10 o'clock. And when I worked at the trading house, I would arrange for foreign, because um, I worked at an international law firm, so we often would have visitors coming in. And if I, there's one classic example, a guy coming from Germany, and you would think that he would have got this right, but he was coming from Germany, and it was at 10 o'clock that he was due to be there. And I was sitting in the legal team, so there's 15 of us at tables, like imagine two of these tables together, we're all sitting around it, and it's 9.55, and not arrive, 9.59, not arrive, 10.02, they're starting to look around, and they're looking at me, <laughs> where is this person? And he gets there at like 10.07. That's not that bad, and from, I think from our perspective, we'd say, oh, the traffic was terrible, I, I, I had to do something before I came, I'm really sorry. But in Japan, it's actually a sign of disrespect. This is my perspective as well, so feel free to ask Japanese people, but um, it's a sign of disrespect that you're not 
actually there on the time that you said that you were. So try to be on time if it's at all possible. And that means taking into account traffic as well. Um, the other thing is it really makes a big difference. Honestly, spend 20 minutes learning It basically means treat me well, I'll treat you well. And it makes a huge difference. If you're able to say anything in Japanese, it will bridge a gap that's between you otherwise. So it's not, it's not that difficult. Um, just memorize And then if you want to get more complicated, then there's other things you can say, like Steven Tomoshimasu, like my name is Steven, and hajimemashite. Um, there's different phrases that you can learn. But it, it doesn't take that long to make a really good impression. Because as soon as you say anything in Japanese, the reaction will be, wow, you speak really well. And you and I know it's just that one word, but it makes a huge, <laughs> huge difference. And I've seen it happen. So um, the other, the last thing is you don't have to get all this stuff right. Because you're from overseas, there's a huge leeway in terms of um, what, what you do or don't do. So don't take it all to heart. <laughs> just do what you can, but you'll be given huge grace compared to if you were within the culture. So the other thing I want to mention to you is um, kind of lifting the lid on Japanese decision-making because I think this is actually really important and something that we can learn from in the West as well. So I want to talk, um, oh, sorry, before we get to that, hierarchy is important in Japan. You already know this, but there's different titles that people use. So um, San is what you'll probably call your surname and then San. Sama is used more in the commercial waiter waitresses or waitresses will say okiyakusama, like welcome to the guest. Sensei, I'd like to see that lawyers is in that list. <laughs> it means um, like a teacher, um, but that's a really sign of respect. And then kun is for someone much lower, chan only used in certain situations. So it's just, bear in mind, it's a very hierarchical society. And, um, and so don't be surprised if there's different ways of expressing things. Um, the other thing is with emails, whenever I would send an email to my colleagues in Japan, so this starts to t tell you about hierarchy and how hard it is to get right. In the CC field, if there were six or seven people, I would try to rank them in terms of their hierarchy. So I don't suggest you do that to start with, but um, if you can sort of show respect by putting people in order, I found that was actually quite a helpful thing. Um, but it's very, it can be difficult to do. Um, so. Getting into the Japanese decision-making, the first thing is this concept of nemawashi, being on the same page or testing the waters. And the kanji in the phrase actually comes from this concept of digging the roots around a tree. If you're transplanting a tree, you know this, you, you don't just sort of uproot it and put it in a new place. What, what it involves is bringing dirt from the new location, introducing it before the transplant so the tree can grow accustomed to the new environment. So the point here is that in the West, the way we make decisions is often very black and white, yes, no. Whereas in Japan, it's much more of a consensus decision-making, and it's about getting the perspectives of many people in the room or in the organization. So I actually think this is really healthy, and I think in the West, we're often too focused on the decision-maker, whereas in Japan, it's much more of a consensus decision-making. Um, and the outworking of this that you'll see in your negotiations is that um, in the West we would often ask a yes or no question, you know, like, do you want to sign the contract or not? It's a yes, no answer. 
and very often you'll get the response will be maybe or I need to check and that's because they need to go through this process of consulting and getting everyone on board with the decision that's going to be made. So I actually think from a Western point of view we could learn a lot from this because too often our hierarchies mean it's a decision made up here that then gets coming down whereas in Japan it's more about group decisions and um, everyone being on the same page. And then the last thing about this decision making is the ringi system. So this is not part of Japanese law, but actually what you find is that most Japanese companies do do this. So what, what you've got is a system of um, going around the different departments within the Japanese organization and actually getting what's called a hanko stamp on a piece of paper approving that decision. So this sounds really laborious from our perspective, um, from a Western point of view, but in Japan it's about getting all this buy-in from the different departments. So the human resources department has a say, and this other department has a say, and marketing has a say. So it's quite, um, quite a different system compared to the Western approach. And you wouldn't know about this unless someone told you because it's not written down anywhere. It's not, it's not a legislated thing. Um, and this is actually, this is actually the hanko. So every person in Japan, when I lived there, I had a hanko with my kanji, and I could stamp that I'd approve things for banks and things. So that's just a system to be aware of. So the implication for you, what does this mean? Sometimes it will take time for your counterparts in business to make decisions, and it's likely that they're going through this ringi system of getting approval. Also, what I said before, sometimes they can't give you a yes or a no answer because they're going through this, and one of the departments might push back and say, we can't agree to this part of the deal. And so you might get them coming back with saying, we approve it except for this or that, and that's because they've gone through this process of getting the consensus decision that everybody's buying in. Now the real positive of this is that everybody buys in. The, the whole organization is part of it. It's not just one person in a room who said, yes, we're doing it. If you get the whole organization buying in, then what Ian was talking about, relationship kicks in, and you're, you're together, you've made that decision. So it's actually an amazing system. Um, if you want to study it, it's really, really good. Um, and that's not me counting down to goodness. <laughs> um, the, the last thing I wanted to share um, was just, it's just a statement which I found really helpful in my own life. Um, and I'm just going to share it with you. It has nothing to do with business, but I think you'll agree it can apply to anything. Um, so I love this phrase in Japan, fall down seven times, stand up eight. And very often, you know, in business or in life, things are difficult, and you do fall down seven times. And it's about having the guts and the determination to stand up that eighth time. So I just wanted to leave that with you as just a thought that you can take away. Um, so the, the, the background for me, um, I'm a lawyer working in this area, working with companies exporting, importing, buying and selling. I actually lived for 11 years overseas working for an international firm, so four years in Tokyo, three years in London, and then four years in Sydney. And despite my accent, I actually grew up in Christchurch and moved back here three years ago. So I've got four young children and it's a wonderful place to, to raise them. Um, but I'm working with lots of companies and in particular helping companies that are interested in the idea of combining profit and purpose. So more than just how much money can we make, how do we actually have an impact 
for the next generations, not just extracting, actually being part of regenerative economies. So that's an area I'm really interested in, and yeah, I do a lot of work in that area. And the last thing is I, on the tables, you see there's a card that has a little picture of some, some seeds. Um, so I'm doing this podcast called Seeds, and I'm interviewing people that I think are inspiring or pushing boundaries in some way. Um, podcasts are a great way if you're driving or commuting or mowing the lawns to get input from someone's life story. So I've done 112 interviews now with people who are at the edges of what's possible, um, ranging from Leanne Dalzell as the mayor right through to people you've never heard of in charitable trusts working with children. So it's a real diversity and mix of um, stories, but the common theme is they're all doing something a little bit differently. Um, and for example, I'm interviewing Ian later today, and we'll be talking about Japan and his experiences about Japan and about Japanese culture. So it's just something, um, just spreading the word about it. Um, so that's all I wanted to say. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the chance to speak. Well, I hope you enjoyed that little presentation. For me, it was quite fun to pull it together to try to condense my five years in Japan and do it in only 15 minutes. And also the typical episode is more of an interview with people. So you might want to check out some of the earlier ones as well. Until next time. Mm -hmm.